Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the Lindsay Elmore Show. SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is a medical condition caused by an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestines. Now I know that sounds simplistic, but this simple shift of bacteria to the wrong area of the intestines can cause wide ranging digestive symptoms like gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, and pain, and is believed to be one of the primary root causes in at least 60 to 70% of diagnosed irritable bowel syndrome cases. Millions of people all around the world have this condition, whether they know it or not. The causes of SIBO are layered, complex, and the condition itself is hard to treat without expert knowledge and a customized plan. My guest today is Siobhan Sarna. She herself overcame a diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome caused by SIBO. And we're talking all about the causes, how to treat it, how to eat with SIBO, and how to know when it is time to simply take the antibiotics and move on. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Lindsay Elmore Show a podcast for people who deserve to be healthy with honest, open, and enlightening conversations with doctors, thought leaders, creatives, and spiritual gurus. You'll walk away with simple and tangible tips and tricks that allow you to live your healthiest life so you can pursue your dreams, overcome obstacles, and leave your mark. Siobhan Sarna is the author of Healing SIBO, a TV host and the creator of the SIBO SOS Summit, the Digestion SOS Documentary Series, the Gut and Microbiome Rescue Summit, the Lymphatic Rescue Summit, and Chronic Condition Research, a 401c3 nonprofit foundation to further research in underfunded medical conditions. After a lifetime of struggles with health conditions, Siobhan made it her mission to demystify her own health struggles and to share that information with others who were struggling. Her special skill is finding and connecting with leading expert doctors and connecting those experts with the people who need their help. Her personal mantra is SOS, save our selves. And that's what she has done to help thousands of people discover how they can heal themselves from within. 
She authored a book called Healing SIBO to help others understand, treat, and manage IBS, SIBO, and other digestive disorders. It also comes with recipes that can help you to heal small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Siobhan Sarna, welcome to the Lindsay Elmore Show. Well, thank you so much. Very happy to be here. I think that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is one of those things that a lot of people probably have and don't even know it. We know that at least 62 million Americans each year are diagnosed with some kind of digestive disorder, and 10 to 15% of people have some kind of irritable bowel, kind of diarrhea and gas and just blah, and only 5% of people who have these symptoms have been diagnosed with any kind of problem in their bacteria. And so start us at the very, very basics because a lot of medical institutions, they say, oh, dysbiosis, it's not a thing. It doesn't matter what kind of bacteria you have in your gut. So what is, you know, we've, we've done a lot about the microbiome, but give us a crash course, like how does the microbiome kind of get out of whack what is dysbiosis and how does it how does it affect our entire body? So I'm honored to be here. I love talking about SIBO. You have an amazing audience. Thank you for having me. So SIBO stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth, and it is the number one underlying cause of IBS. And, you know, I was diagnosed with IBS uh, and was given an antidepressant, told to run three miles. Literally, that's what the guy, the GI doctor said. Fortunately, through a series of basically answered prayers, divine intervention, and a lot of Dr. Google and a lot of hard work, I found out that there was actually a thing called SIBO and that my IBS actually could have an underlying cause that could be treated. That's a lot of what my messaging is, is that there are a ton of underlying causes, which I'll talk about briefly. So everyone can kind of go down those rabbit holes. But a lot of times you're just told, eat a low FODMAP diet, see you, love you, bye. And then you're limiting that microbiome that you were just talking about, because if um, you're wondering what a low FODMAP diet is, it is just to oversimplify it. It's a type of um, series of carbohydrates that tend to uh, cause symptoms when you consume them, like believe it or not, apple, garlic, a lot of them are really good for you. But if you have IBS, then they can cause symptoms. And diet, you know, you think, oh, I have this dysbiotic, this out of balance microbiome. Um, my, my diet is going to cure it. When it comes to SIBO, because it's an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine and actually has to do with the way that the sweeping motion of the MMC or migrating motor complex works, it's not just about, um, it's not just about like an imbalance of the microbiome. There's a, a lot more to it that would way oversimplify it. So what you wanna do is eat a low fermentable load style of food, meaning low FODMAP, but more. And you wanna get off of that as soon as possible so you can expand your microbiome by feeding it all kinds of diversity. But the way that SIBO works is that if you think about your small intestine as being almost sterile by comparison to the large intestine, 
the, in the small intestine, that's where you're absorbing your nutrients, the large intestine, that's all your excrement, your poo, whatever. And so when the bacteria hangs out for too long in the small intestine, it becomes like a microbrewery and it overgrows. It's not a typical infection, which I think is a terminology some people use like, oh, SIBO is an infection. Not really, it's an overgrowth. And when that overgrowth is there, it leads to all kinds of things, malnutrition, weight gain, weight loss, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, alternating constipation and diarrhea, as well as rosacea, restless leg syndrome. I've talked to specialists who have even connected it clinically through observation to infertility. I mean, vast, vast connections, about a billion people on the, on the planet estimates are um, impacted by this. And IBS is the most expensive gastroenterology uh, condition because of how uncomfortable people are and how much work they miss. Of course, that was when we were all in corporate America at the office, so things might be changing there. But, um, you know, so that's basically SIBO in a nutshell. The number one underlying cause of SIBO is food poisoning, but you can have it from adhesions, from opioid use, from anything, including endometriosis, that could possibly move the tissue of the small intestine. An adhesion is an internal scar, by the way, that is beautiful because it holds us together. But sometimes, like if you had a cesarean, internal scarring that's holding you together, but it can also move tissue out of whack in positions that could impact your digestion. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Okay. So there's so much to unpack right there. Um, I loved how you said, listen, SIBO can be caused by food poisoning, adhesions, opiate use. And I liked how you said it's not an infection. Yes, it is excessive bacteria, but it sounds like it's more about bacteria being in the wrong place where you're saying, listen, it's supposed to be in the large intestine peeps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do have some small intestinal bacterial presence, but it's primarily supposed to be in the large intestine. And you're right. It's, I always say in my book, I call it real estate problem. It's location, location, location. When it is there, it is um, going to, lead to a lot of different scenarios. And, you know, some people get SIBO after about a food poisoning, they take one round of antibiotics and off they go and they don't know why people are moaning about SIBO. But there are other people like me who worked in a moldy building for 20 years, who had Lyme, who had EBV, la la la, all these chronic conditions. And so for me and for a lot of people, it's chronic. However, it's manageable. And that's a big thing I've learned. Um, and just a reminder to everybody, if you do have a chronic condition, once that chronic condition is treated and treated properly and well, you can still feel 100% better. Of course, it depends on the condition. But I had to get out of the mindset of, oh, I need to have this be a negative test. I need to be cured. I need to have absolutely nothing wrong with me. I needed to be you know, healthy like I was in my 20s. Well, I've probably had this since I was five, but was pretty miserable in my 20s. And then the mold happened. So I feel fantastic now by comparison. Right. I mean, it is amazing because I think one of the things that's so frustrating about the diagnosis of IBS is it's a diagnosis of exclusion. It's like you don't really have anything wrong with you other than chronic 
rosacea and gas and indigestion and joint pain and nutrient deficiencies and this and that, but nobody can pin down why. It doesn't fit into that name it, blame it, tame it kind of scenario that we see so often. Now, I want to go back to the low FODMAP diet because that is not something that we have talked about much on the show. And so talk to us, what is what does FODMAP mean? What are some high FODMAP foods and what do we eat instead? Okay. So FODMAP, so the whole term FODMAP has come out of Monash University in Australia, where they have really done a lot of incredible breakthrough work on the diet and IBS and how, so, and how the diet can control your symptoms. And for some people that's fantastic. And that is enough. Um, some high FODMAP foods and they F-O-D-M-A-P. Yeah, sorry, FODMAP foods stand for a variety of different carbohydrates. And I'm not going to whip them off the tip of my tongue because uh, it would be ugly. Um, <laughs> so- well, you've already named some of the most important ones, fruits and alliums and. Yeah, I can name the foods for sure. Like, um. It, oh, one other thing about that is it has to do also with portion. So I can have half of an avocado and not have a problem. If I eat like a big wad of beautiful, you know, guacamole, and it's like the equivalent of a whole avocado, I will get symptoms. So a lot of it is about symptom uh, management through portion control. Some people can have a slice of apple, no problem. Uh, but other people are like, I can't even like have like a tiny nibble of apple and it'll set me off. Dr. Alison Becker in the States here, she created the SIBO specific food guide, which is what I go off of. And it's kind of a combination of GAPS diet, specific carbohydrate diet, a whole bunch of diets that have been known to help with reducing triggers and reducing symptoms. So for this person with SIBO or IBS, so here's the thing, if you have IBS and you don't know anything about SIBO, you may think you're stuck on this diet for the rest of your life. And there are great dietitians out there talking about different recipes and what to do at Thanksgiving and, you know, how to get as much low FODMAP diet in you as possible. But I want to go beyond that. And I want to find out why I had the condition to begin with. And then the good news is there isn't a limitation there. It's not just, oh, well, you just have to eat the special way for the rest of your life. Actually, if you find out your underlying cause, chances are we can treat you with three major treatments, antibiotics, antimicrobials, or the elemental diet. But if you've ever eaten a food and were triggered and you were like, oh my gosh, like I just ate that Italian food and I love the garlic bread, but oh my gosh, it's hurting me. That may, you know, that may be something you can't handle because of what happened with the fermentation of that carbohydrate. So what are some of your absolute, uh, let me take one step back, because I like what you just said about if we can identify what's really going on, there are three primary approaches. And I know many of our listeners are like, oh, she said antibiotics. Um, But why do you think antibiotics are so important? And why is it that a lot of people can just take one course of antibiotics, get rid of the bacterial overgrowth, and move on and be fine for the rest of their lives. 
So I'm going to start with the, oh, shock, shock it. She said antibiotics. So first of all, let's, let's just take a breath. Antibiotics, obviously, you know, can save your life. So they are not the evil empire. Is there an overuse of antibiotics in the world today? Heck yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Um, but in this particular case with those two polarizing opposite, you know, concepts of, well, what could I use an antibiotic for? There is an antibiotic that I know you know about called Zyfaxin. Rifaximin is also what you'll hear about and same drug. And it is what they actually give to people who have traveler's diarrhea. It stays in the small intestine. And this was from Dr. Mark Pimentel from Cedar sinai He's the one who was like, let's look at the specimen for this condition. And he's really, I think, the one who's going to find the long-term cure for this too. Thank goodness he's, he's working on it actively. But rifaximin stays in the small intestine, so it does not nuke your entire microbiome. It's a fascinating drug, and uh, it's a very different antibiotic. So, yes. right? So they even sometimes use it to treat C. diff, which can be caused by antibiotics. Um, it is, it's a fascinating drug. You can research more about it, but the fact is, is that you, when you have the three types of gases that the bacteria overgrowing in your small intestine can create, one is methane, one is hydrogen, and one is hydrogen sulfide. And the, the antibiotic approach for the hydrogen is rifaximin at, for two weeks. I'll tell you the caveat there. And then for methane, it's rifaximin often combined with neomycin. Now, neomycin is a systemic. It is going to probably nuke your microbiome to a certain extent. But if you're really trying to get that bacterial load down in the small intestine, it's methane producers. And that, those are the more difficult ones to treat. Um, you have to weigh what's going to work for you and you know your pros and cons there. And then hydrogen sulfide is um, more difficult to treat. It's an emerging set of treatments. Um, they are using bismuth subnitrate um, to help with that. And Dr. Pimentel, the last time I spoke with him, he was like, you know what, do that swig of Pepto-Bismol with your antibiotics. And, you know, they're, they're making observations about the results. Then, interesting. Want, isn't it interesting? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of exciting. Yeah, totally. And, and this is another, so if you want to get Rifaximin, you, um, either the, the company that makes it, um, has coupons, you know, it can be very expensive, but you can also get it from Canada. Um, in certain, you know, certain pharmacies there have it if you if your insurance doesn't pay for it. Then as far as antimicrobials go, the typical ones are Candybact. This is the ones that have been studied. Candybact and AR, Candybact and BR. These are combination formulas. Um, also oil of oregano. Hello, essential oil lovers. <laughs> and then also... Um, Allicin, which is the active ingredient in um, garlic. You can't eat a clove of garlic, but this allicin is an antimicrobial and that can be used really effectively with the um, hydrogen kind. And then also um, the elemental diet. So the th I mean, this is really great because you have three studied methods to treat this condition. A lot of conditions that are, you know, sort of emerging, that may have been around forever, but you know, Western medicine hasn't recognized this always. Um, a lot of them don't have three techniques, which is very exciting that there are three treatments and it is called the elemental diet. 
And the elemental diet is made up of the elements of food, which is amino acids, which is basically it's a liquid diet that you do uh, under very close supervision. Uh, and it's pretty miserable. Um, you know, it's different. And you do it for two weeks to 17 days, and then you instantly retest. So you can find out if you are going to stay on the diet for maybe a couple more days. And the reason how this works is instead of killing the bacteria load, it feeds you by just getting absorbed so quickly in your body because it's the amino acids. And then it just starves the bacteria in the small intestine. It is the most effective method. It is also the most difficult, but the good news is there are some companies that have created a better tasting, uh, elemental diet because it used to just taste like vomit. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and that's like a couple of years ago, not so long ago, um, because it was originally designed for feeding tubes. So it wasn't really designed to be consumed. So now there's some, they taste like very sweet milkshakes, amino acids. Some of them are sweet. Some of them are disgusting. So the good news is there are more choices now. So we have the mix of antibiotics, of antimicrobials, even some of the over-the-counter drugs that are just heavy metals like like bismuth are, are going to be helpful, as well as this elemental diet, which is not fun, but it's better than having a lifetime of symptoms. And so we've talked about how to treat this. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. After months of waiting, the Metabolic Makeover is now open for registration. The event is free and online from August 30th to September 5th. And the Metabolic Makeover interviews more than 30 industry experts on what are the root causes of metabolic disease and how do we fix it. The problem is metabolic disease shows up and is diagnosed as diabetes, obesity, high cholesterol, and high blood pressure. But almost 90% of Americans are walking a pathway towards metabolic illness and don't even know it. Years before a true diagnosis, metabolic dysfunction is impacting every single body system, causing sleep problems, unexplained weight gain, hormone disruption, abnormal menopause, depression, mood swings, and so much more. During the Metabolic Makeover Summit, I interview experts like Dr. Jess Petros about how metabolic dysfunction is actually just mitochondrial dysfunction. We talk with Lacey Dunn about how hormones are sabotaging your weight loss. We talk with Dr. David Jockers about how intermittent fasting can help to heal metabolic disease. Dr. Christine Schaffner teaches us all about how to get more sleep. And we talk with many, many more. To sign up, head to lindsayelmore.com slash metabolic makeover. The event is free and online from August 30th to September 5th. So don't miss out. Head to lindsayelmore.com slash metabolic makeover to sign up today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, 
let's get back to the show. But what are some of the root causes? You mentioned food poisoning, and I'd really like you to touch on that thing we just glazed right over, that migratory motor complex. <laughs> the, uh, so I'll, I'll break that down. So food poisoning uh, creates, and by the way, not everyone who gets food poisoning will get SIBO. However, once you get food poisoning, you are more prone to food poisoning. So you and I can go out to eat. You have the salad. I have the salad. You don't get ill. I get ill. But we could be looking at each other later when you're like, Siobhan, get off the floor. Oh, my gosh, you've been there for 24 hours vomiting. I'm so sorry. What did you eat? Oh, I had that salad, too. I'm fine. Well, you know, once you have food poisoning, you're more prone to it. And so your immune system was able to fight off whatever was there. And maybe mine couldn't. And then once you have uh, food poisoning, your body, it creates antibodies. Those antibodies confuse the, through molecular mimicry, the small intestine and the migrating motor complex. And it's called, we, you know, MMC for short. And this is what sweeps debris and bacteria and food particles out of the small intestine. It's not your typical peristalsis. This is like my non-scientific terminology for it. It's like a micro peristalsis. Again, that's like the non-medical way describing it, but it's a sweeping motion. And when that gets confused and impaired, it's not going to sweep out the bacteria out of the small intestine. And that's when it can overgrow. So that's the MMC, but the MMC can be impaired from those other things I was talking about, like um, endometriosis tissue, pulling the um, small intestine out of place a little bit, scars, your MMC actually might be okay but the track that it's on of the small intestine might be displaced in a way like Ehlers-Danlos, the collagen disorder, where people can have that sagging of organs that also can lead to SIBO for the same type so, of So lots of different things can cause SIBO, but there's there's, it, I mean, tell us how we test for this. You know, if people are going in and they're just like, doc, I'm having all these weird symptoms and I think it might be SIBO. What do we test for? Okay. So one thing that you can test for is those antibodies I was just talking about and the blood test, the blood test to see if you have post-infectious IBS, meaning I had an infection. Now it's post, it's after that. And I have IBS. So it's a post food poisoning infection. And that is called post-infectious IBS. And that's a, a blood test called IBS smart. And this was also developed by Dr. Mark Pimentel. And you can find it at Gemelli labs. Um, and what's so cool is they have a doctor on staff. You fill out, this is at the lab, you fill out a form online. They can get you the script for it. I think it's a small fee. It's totally worth it. And um, you get the blood test kit. You go to any lab test now or get a phlebotomist to do the tests, send the kit in, and then they can tell you if you have the antibodies that could be creating this. So that's a huge new development um, that like, I mean, we didn't have that so many years ago. This is, this is very, it's quite, quite new and it's very exciting. But then the so that would tell you like their underlying cause. Some people do that first, some people do it second, some people never do it. Um, but one thing that you should definitely do is a SIBO breath test. And that's when you drink a solution of a sugar substance 
Uh, the one I like is lactulose, which is a prescription in the United States. And then you breathe into these breath capture collectors, test tubes, they have a whole kit. You do a prep for a special diet for 12 hours, then you fast for 12 hours, then you drink the solution. And then every 20 minutes for three hours, uh, you are blowing into these collectors. And what they're collecting is what those gases in your small intestine are producing after consuming that sugar substrate. And that tells you what kinds of gases they're producing and therefore you can determine which treatment to go with based on the three treatments I said. Um, one thing that a lot of practitioners are not overly familiar with is uh, retesting after treatment. So let's see, oh my gosh, I have SIBO. Okay, well, here are your three treatment plans, A, B, C. Okay, I'm gonna go with one of them. Then after that treatment round, let's say it's two weeks, within the next seven to 10 days, you need to retest to see how many parts per million that uh, gas in your body has come down. When I first did my first round of antibiotics, I was like, I'm so confused. I'm not better. What's going on? But it, I had to do multiple rounds. And that's the other thing about rifaximin that's so cool as an antibiotic. It has been shown that you can do multiple rounds and not develop resistance, like five, seven rounds. And I know it feels very, very weird because we're not used to that, but that, that's how you can get your gas levels down. So the gas levels are really important because talk to us about gas as it relates to, to SIBO and how it can actually lead to the progression of symptoms. So one thing when you have SIBO, it can lead to leaky gut. And that is something, you know, that is one of those long-term things that we want to deal with. And when we're healing the gut after maybe the overgrowth has been reduced, you really want to do things to heal the gut. Uh, the gases are, so methane producers, and if you have methane, SIBO, it's called actually IMO. Don't worry about the terminology because it's, it's new and it's wonderful, and, but I don't want anyone to get overly confused with alphabet soup. So you could have hydrogen producing, you could have methane producing, or you could have the hydrogen sulfide producing. And this is where you determine your three, which, which treatment method. Let's say you have hydrogen and you do two weeks of treatment, candybactin AR and candybactin BR. You retest and you're like, you know, it came down a little bit. This is exciting. I don't feel different, but because you still have it, but it came down. You might be like, that was cool. So the herbals take a month before you, you retest, whereas the, the antibiotics are two weeks. You may be like, I'm going to do another round for another month. Or you might be like, let's speed this sucker up, load me up on those antibiotics. Or you might be like, wow, I still have so far to go um, in terms of the gas levels. I'm going to do the elemental diet. So that's your most effective, fastest way to get a reduction of the gas. So what's cool is you can, um, you have choices. I mean, this, this is really a big deal. I remember when I had candida, it was just like eat nothing and pray, <laughs> right? Like no antifungals, no, you know, none of that. It was just like no fruit for you, suffer, see you, love you, bye. But now, you know, we have a lot more options, which is really exciting. Who are the people that are most predisposed to get SIBO in the first place? You keep talking about how, you know, you and I could eat the same salad and you get super sick. And I'm just like, 
hey, that that sucks for you. <laughs> so who's predisposed for this? So women tend to get it more. Uh, they're not quite sure why. I have my theories. Um, and uh, combat uh, soldiers overseas tend to get it a lot from the uh, food that they're eating there. Um, there's controversy about whether stress causes it or contributes to it. If you think of the vagus nerve and its role in stress and its role in digestion and mind-body connection and brain connection, and if that is, you're constantly in a state of um, flight and fight, then I can see how that could be a contributing factor. Uh, PPIs are known to be a contributing factor. Um, the conditions I was talking about before, the alcoholism, alcohol consumption, um, that definitely seems to have, meaning that there was, you know, a, I mean, this sounds weird, but a group of alcoholics were studied and they all had SIBO. Um, like how much they drank, I don't know exactly, but think about it. If you are doing, this is my example about, let's say you have surgery, a deep surgery where you're on deep anesthetic anesthesia. Then you're on pain meds. They tend to constipate you. Um, and you're like, oh, I, my knee healed from the surgery, but like, I'm not the same with my gut afterwards. It could have been because your migrating motor complex was impaired and you then were slowing the digestion down and the sweeping down even more. And there was an overgrowth of bacteria. There was bacteria in your small intestine and overgrew. So what I do, not that I have surgery that often, but I always make sure I take a prokinetic, which we really need to touch on here after any of those scenarios. I personally take one every night anyway, because my underlying cause is the antibodies from food poisoning. So a prokinetic, think about the word prokinetic motion. Um, a natural one is ginger and there's uh, modal pro, which is another natural uh, combo. Like you can get, you know, full script and at these dispensaries that are like have the the supplements then there's also um Rethlor, which is canadian for wait i always say it wrong uh Rethlor in this country is known as motegrity i only speak i only speak in generics and so like you know i'm sitting here like when is she gonna get to cisapride and metaclopramide <laughs> you know <laughs> So these are things that help to move the migrating motor complex. So that's, that's what I always want to make sure people are aware of because you may get treated. And what would suck is if you didn't do a prokinetic afterwards, because that's what helps to prevent relapse depending on your underlying cause. You always want to, you, you, it's really good to follow up treatment with a prokinetic. I'll probably be on with it for the rest of my life and I'm fine with it. And so the prokinetic drugs, they work more in the upper part of the intestines. I've been asked a lot of times, like, can I use basically laxatives? Can I use stimulant laxatives? So what is the difference between the laxative action versus these prokinetic agents? That is such a very good question. Okay, so a prokinetic is not going to necessarily cause a bowel movement. So it doesn't always have, it's not for everybody to have a laxative effect. Now the obnoxious part of this is how can you tell if the prokinetic is working? 
Well, if your SIBO relapses. So this is a very clunky part of the treatment algorithm because, you know, like you don't even want to find out, like do you, you don't even want to like go there, like, oh, do I have it again? So that's why doing this prokinetic is so important after treatment. Um, I, I've heard a lot of people say they take prokinetics and they get, they do go to the bathroom. I've also heard people say, I'm doing a prokinetic. I notice no difference. I just know that I don't have SIBO anymore. So I'm sticking with it. So that's, it's an, I, I mean, it's not a laxative, but it can move things along for some people where they would have a, a laxative effect. Yes. And so it is a completely different thing. And so there's also not that risk of nutrient depletion that comes with the laxative effect as well. I think one of the things that may be really difficult for our listeners is they're sitting at home, they've got gas, they've got bloating, they're maybe having diarrhea, they're not really enjoying their food because ultimately it leads to trips to the bathroom. And as we mentioned earlier, a ton of people in the Western medical establishment don't even think that SIBO is a thing. So if people are out there doing as I always instruct them to do, take ownership of your own health. You have you have autonomy and you have agency over your own health and wellness. And how do you encourage people to talk to their physician? And when do you encourage people to perhaps move on and just go like, bud, if you're a dead end, I'm going to somebody who's not. That is a great set of questions. Well, first of all, um, totally agree with you. You have to be your own advocate and follow your intuition and it's a pain. And you just, you know, my whole platform SIBO SOS and it used to be in my initial uh, phases. It was like, oh my gosh, someone come to help me. But SOS has come to mean like save ourselves because you have to these days. And, and that's both with your physician and your, I call it the committee of your healers, but also in your own life and your own diet and your lifestyle. But there is more and more research, legit, amazing, phenomenal institutional research about SIBO. Leading the way, Dr. Mark Pimentel, international studies. I mean, there's a ton of it now, go to PubMed. I, you know, cranked out some studies when I walked into the gastroenterologist uh, office the second time, different doctor, um, because I just want to make sure we were really literally on the same page. And, you know, he looked at it and he said, oh, thank you. You know, they didn't teach us this in medical school. And he had some familiarity with it, but he's like, oh, yeah, this is really helpful. So, I mean, that's what you want. You want someone with an open attitude who is wanting to be curious with you. And then um, if you do come across a scenario where you feel like it's a, not a fit, it's not a work, working way forward, you have every right to leave a practice. I don't even want to say fire your doctor, but you can just leave that practice and just get your, your records anonymously transferred to the other practice. And there's a lot of telemedicine going on as well that can really move you forward. One hour with a SIBO specialist can be worth years with someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. So what have been, you know, you have struggled with, you had IBS, you've had SIBO, you've mentioned that you're probably going to be on a prokinetic agent for life. What have been some of the other most transformational interventions for you or the clients that you mentor? So I would 
say what other transformational things definitely getting the diet on awareness of like I can't eat garlic and I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, I do a, a workaround, saute your garlic in the oil, then use that oil as like a garlic infused oil. There are a lot of workarounds with the diets. There are a lot of books out there. Um, SIBO dietitians, SIBO uh, nutritionists who can help you, our Facebook group, you know, it, it, the communities are growing, which is so exciting. Um, the other thing is, are you drinking enough water? And I know that seems basic, but I find a lot of people aren't as whether you have diarrhea or constipation, either way, you need to make sure you're getting enough hydration and are you chewing your food? Are you doing a digestive enzyme for the love of all things? Holy, because that could be so transformational for you. And I think a lot of people overlook that as being like, yeah, yeah, I already know about that, but are you doing it? Is there a little plate next to your plate at the meal, every meal? where you're helping yourself to get the nutrition from that meal because that bacteria in your small intestine is going to be trying to rob you of it. So are you a bigger fan of more of the carbohydrate, like the amylases and the lactases and all of, and the protein, I guess is a lactase, or are you more in fan of like the pancreatic enzymes where you're getting the fats broken down? We've talked a lot about carbs. Should we really be focused on a, a, a digestive enzyme that's focusing on digesting carbs? I, I think there, I think there's some really good formulations out there that address a lot of them, but the bacteria, and I'm a vegetarian, doesn't mean everyone else has to be, but that's what works for me um, for every reason you could possibly think of. And so here I am eating a lot of fiber, right? So like fiber supplement is going to do me in because that bacteria feeds on fiber, but I have been able to bring in my, all my normal vegetarian food with digestive enzymes and have been totally fine with it. You know, uh, um, so the recipes in my book, right, are vegetarian because I'm like, if you want to eat a chicken breast on top of that meal, so be it. That's fine. The vegetables are the hard part. I, some people do really well with a carnivore diet with SIBO. That's because they're not getting the vegetable fibers, but those vegetable fibers, plant-based diet, golden. Yes, absolutely. I I love a good a good plant-based diet, even if it's not fully plant-based as long as it's plant-centric because you know yes fiber has the potential to get fermented but it also has these broad ranging anti-inflammatory um anti-inflammatory behaviors in the body that can really help to tone down and chill out the gut um so I feel like everybody under the sun is told you have to take a probiotic. What do you? What is your opinion on probiotics in in this this portion of people? And we only have a few minutes left. Are you kidding? This is a big one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll keep it fast. Um, basically, it's so individualized. You really need to experiment with it. I'm a huge fan of the soil-based probiotic. Uh, Megaspore, you know, I know you're not into brands. I'm totally into brands. I am a fan of the ones that have been studied. There have actually been studies that show that certain probiotics uh, can be gatekeepers to help control the bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine. So that's like a whole different approach. You could go into PubMed and look that up. Um, so I think it's super individualized because the bacteria that is causing the problem is not the same in everyone. Mm. 
that's where the microbiome gets super, super complicated. But Dr. Mark Pimentel, Dr. Ali Razai, they've actually mapped the small intestine and are working on even more and more um, information from it. So we're going to be learning a lot in the next, I would say, two years about uh, the continuation of what's causing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh, there's so many more questions that I have. I got one more. I've got one more. So you mentioned that different bacteria can be kind of the culprit um, that's there. So what are the most common culprits? And is it only infectious bacteria? You know, is it only the Salmonella, Shigella's, Campylobacter's, or can it? Yeah, E. coli, all of those, all of those foodborne pathogens or can you like actually have an overgrowth of what we would consider to be a good bacteria and it's just out of balance? So I, I definitely know that it's a lot of the foodborne things you were just talking about. I do in my own personal observations and from what I've heard and learned, think it can be from the overgrowth of even like an imbalance, like you were saying, um, that is that like, I think that that is the confusing part. Like it's supposed to be good for you. Like why wouldn't I take this probiotic that has this lactobacillus when it's supposed to be so good for you? It might be not good for you, Sally Mae, because that might be your overgrowth. And it's so complicated because a lot of the probiotics control other probiotics and other bacteria. So what I would say is stay away from like the kimchis, the kombuchas, the fermented foods. Um, I think that that's a huge trigger for a lot of people. And I, and I did it. I was like, oh, my, my microbiome's messed up. Uh, this is before I knew about what was really wrong. Um, I'm going to try this. And oh my gosh, it just put me over the edge and did like horrible symptoms. So um, I would say be very, very, very conservative with that. And yeah. and and Summer Bach, one of my friends who is a uh, specialist in fermented foods, she's like basically heal your SIBO, heal your gut, then let's talk. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like you said, if you are kind of experimenting here, maybe it is time to find a SIBO specialist. And, you know, if you can't find a SIBO specialist in your neck of the woods, you can pick up Siobhan's book. It's SIBOSOS.com slash book. And you also have tons of different recipes over on your over on your website and that's SIBOSOS.com slash SIBOSOS slash recipes. So everybody go pick up a copy of the book, Healing SIBO. It's a 21-day journey that can help get you feeling better and being more vibrant. Siobhan Sarna, thank you so much for coming in and being a guest today on the Lindsay Elmore Show. Thank you. Throughout the month of August, we are taking a bit of a summer break, but don't you worry. There are plenty of episodes of the Lindsay Elmore Show that you can binge. Listening to podcasts is a great way to engage your brain, and we have multiple episodes about how we can more effectively train and support our brain health. Head back in the archives and listen to episode 114 by Dr. Michael Merzinich on how we can keep our brain young even as we age. Then check out episode 98, 
with Dr. Patrick Porter about how brainwave training improves our overall health. You can also check out episode 94 about how we can boost our brains using essential oils. Head back in the archive, listen to an episode, and while you're on your favorite podcast platform, please leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the show, and share it with a friend. Everyone deserves to be healthy, and this is a show specifically for them. The Lindsay Elmore Show is written and produced by me, Lindsay Elmore. Show segments are produced by Sue Procco and Derek Lugo. Sound design and editing is by Jive Media. Support The Lindsay Elmore Show by heading to lindsayelmore.com slash podcast. Your contribution, no matter how big or how small, helps us to bring the best guests to the interview chair. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Share this and all of your favorite episodes with a friend and on social media. Be sure to tag at Lindsay Elmore Show and help us bring the pod to more people.